Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight as we begin to really break this down. Now, as we unpack this next section in Colossians, we need to remember that Paul was dealing with a Gnostic heresy that was trying to infect the church. Part of what the false teachers taught was that Jesus wasn't divine. I mean, in other words, he wasn't God, but he actually was not a man, but they taught that he was like a spirit being. He was an emanation from God. In other words, they would try to teach that God is God, but God also manifests his power in different things that he's created, like angels and other things to accomplish his purposes. And the false teaching was that Jesus wasn't God himself, but he was a close form of God that God used to demonstrate his power and accomplish some of his purposes. As you're going to see tonight, Paul in this section here, and also in other parts of Colossians, is trying to deal with this heresy, this false teaching, and clearly communicate that Jesus wasn't like an angel, wasn't an emanation from God, but he was God himself. Now, let me just tell you, this will be very valuable for those of you who have the Jehovah's Witnesses come knock on your door, which they have just done recently at our house. I wasn't home, but <laughs> Becky actually handled it well. But the Jehovah's Witnesses will teach you that if you say, do you ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? They'll say yes. But if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus is God himself? They will say no. And folks, that is the distinction between true Christianity and all the other religions, cults that call themselves Christian. The distinction is that Jesus is God himself. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he was a form of God, an emanation from God, but he wasn't God himself. Paul deals with that here. And he says here in verse 15, he is the Im image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down these things that Paul said into detail tonight to take a look at what the scripture has to say about them and at the same time what Paul's saying here. So the first thing he says in this description of Jesus is that he is the image of the invisible God. Go with me to John chapter 14 and look at verses 8 and 9. In John chapter 14 and verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now again, they believed that he came from God. They believed that he was the Son of God, the Christ, the one God promised. But even still at this moment, they didn't fully understand that he was God. Can anybody give me examples of the fact from what we can see from the scriptures that they didn't understand that Jesus was God, even though they walked with him? What are some examples that you can give me that shows that? 
They didn't believe he could rise from the dead. They didn't understand that. Do you remember when he was in the boat and the storm rose up and he gets up? Exactly. He gets up and he tells the wind, be still. And it became instantly like glass, the Bible says. And their reaction was, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. As you walk through, you'll see in lots of times that uh, they, they understood that he was from God, but they didn't really understand that he was God himself. And here the Bible says that he's not only uh, the, he's, the first part of the description of him, he's the image of the invisible God. But look at John chapter 1 as well. In John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses just 1 and then jump down to verses 14 through 18. But I want you to look closely because it could be confusing if you're not looking at it carefully. In John chapter 1 verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right. Now, this word word, by the way, in the Greek is the word logos. And you got to keep in mind that each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were writing to explain who Jesus was. But they were also writing to different audiences. Matthew were writing mainly to the to the Jews. And John here is writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to the Greeks, those outside of Judaism. And that's why a lot of the times he will use a Jewish term and then he'll clarify for his readers uh, the Sea of Tiberias. You know, when he would say the Sea of Galilee, then he'd say, well, the Sea of Tiberias. He was writing to a group of people, mainly Greeks. And his, in, this, in the Greek, he actually says, in the beginning was the Logos. Now, if you do a study, you'll find that the Greek people actually believed that there was some controlling force that was greater than them. It was beyond the stars. It was up there was this controlling force. And he says, in the beginning was the Logos, this controlling force. And the word, or the Logos was with God. Oh, and the Logos was God. Now, look at verse 14. And the Word, or the Logos, became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. Keep that in mind, by the way, when we come to something in a little bit, that He ranks before me because He was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Remember, he's the image of the invisible God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Did you catch that? Now, this is get confusing sometimes for some people because is God one or is God three? God's one. But he manifests himself in three persons. Remember back in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. Yet Deuteronomy chapter 6 very clearly says there is one God. The Lord, the Lord is one. The Lord is God, the Lord is one. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's one God. Yet he manifests himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is the Father more God than the Son or the Son than the Father? No, they're all God. It is God, but He manifests Himself in three different ways. And if you took the time, you could go through the Scriptures and you could see, as you're about to see, as we're going to look at some of the passages, how the Bible says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Yet at the same time, as you're going to see tonight, it says that actually Jesus made everything. Oh, but at the same time, the Bible also talks about how the Spirit of God hovered over the waters during creation. And so... I want to just caution you from trying to get caught up into this separating God from himself, because there are some people that say, well, 
The Bible says you have to baptize in the name of Jesus. Yet doesn't it also say baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? You might have run across those people over the years who have said, well, did you say it in the name of Jesus? Or when you pray, do you pray to Jesus or do you pray to the Holy Spirit or do you pray to the Father? I say, get over yourself. <laughs> He's God. Yes, he manifests himself at times as the Son and the Holy Spirit, but he's always God. And they have different roles, for sure, that will, you'll see carry on for eternity. But we can get caught up too much trying to separate God from God. There's one God. And look at what it says. He who was at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus has always existed, folks. Some people think that he came into being when he was made, made of flesh, if you will, when he was born of Mary. Jesus has always existed. And I believe that many of the visitations in the Old Testament that people, uh, God came to visit people on the earth, there are times when they'll fall down in worship and the person they're worshiping doesn't tell them to get up. And actually in the wording in the scriptures, it talks about an angel of the Lord. By the way, if you see in the book of Revelation, there's a couple of times that John's so overwhelmed that he falls down at the feet of the angel who's passing this message on to him. And every time the angel says what? Get up. Get up. <laughs> I'm not to be worshipped. But there are times in the Old Testament that they fall down in worship and the person doesn't say get up. One is that time when Joshua meets God. I believe it's Christ. Jesus, before he took on flesh. When Joshua said, Who, whose side are you on? <laughs> Ours or theirs? Because <laughs> you're kind of big and I like you. I'd like to pick you for our team. <laughs> but what was his answer? Neither. I am my own team. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know who God really is, you need to look at Jesus and focus on Jesus and see a lot about who God is by looking at Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, though. There's something pretty cool here in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to come back to this passage a little bit later tonight. But for now, for now, let's just take a look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, meaning the son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, as Jesus prayed it in the garden in chapter 17 of John, Restore me to the position that I had before the foundations of the world. Did he sit down at the right hand of the Father because he had done such a good work and now he can be able to sit at the hand? No, he had always been at the right hand of the Father. He took, left that position, came down, took on human form for his purposes that we're going to see tonight. But he's always been God, but he limited himself. And what does it say in Philippians chapter 2? Even though, and I'll get right to you, he was equal with God. That's where you're going. He was equal with God. He didn't consider equality with God to be something that he would take advantage of or grasp. But he limited himself. You know how hard that must have been to be God himself standing there as the people that you created call you demon-possessed or half-breed when they called him a Samaritan. 
and he took it. He took it. Those of you who are parents, why did you stand there when your kid one day said, I hate you? Because you knew who you really were, and you knew how much you loved them even though they didn't understand it. And even though they could have been with the back of the hand, you didn't because you loved them. And in time, hopefully they'll understand it, right? Oh, how much God has put, on, put, put up with with us. Jesus, Paul said, is the image of the invisible God. But then he says something else. Go back to Colossians. He says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this has caused some people some bellyache because they'll say, wait a minute, if he's the firstborn of all creation, th that means he was created. No, that's not what this is saying. This word firstborn, by the way, in the Greek actually was where we get our word icon. It's actually talking about rank. It's not talking about position chronologically, first, second, third. He wasn't the first one made. It's not saying that. He's saying he ranks above all creation. By the way, you know the Bible says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, correct? I said that for Niggy because she likes that version. All right. He's the only begotten Son of the Father. He, if he's the only begotten Son of the Father, he can't be the first of all the begottens. You see what I'm saying? If he's the only begotten. When it's saying that he's the firstborn over all creation, it's saying that he actually is not first in chronological order, but he's first in, what was the word that John used in John chapter 1? Rank. Preeminent. Preeminence is a good word for it as well. Pre well, look at verse 18. Look at here in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 18. We're going to come back to this verse in a second here. See, but he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent, have the highest rank. Now let me ask you an actual question. Was Jesus the first person to rise from the dead? Chronologically, he wasn't the first person to rise from the dead. Who else had already risen from the dead? Lazarus, Lud Boy and Nain, and, and uh, Jairus' daughter. There'd been Ben risings from the dead. He wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. Then why is he the firstborn among those who risen, have risen from the dead? Why is his the highest ranking rising from the dead? Because when he rose from the dead, he didn't die anymore. Every one of those people rose from the dead by God's grace, but they had to die again. Jesus is... I'm sorry? They only came back to earth. Exactly. They didn't come back to earth. Yeah. And so because of that, he is the firstborn over... Those who have risen from the dead because he's the highest in rank. All right. So when you see firstborn, it's not a chronological thing at all. Uh, um, by the way, you're about to see also that Jesus wasn't created. Because go back to what we're going to look at now and look at the next part of it. Verse 16, because there are those people that try to say that, uh, um, that Jesus was the first one created. Okay. And for anybody that tries to say this means that Jesus was created, take them to verse 16. For by him, all things were created. He can't be the first one created if he created everything. You see what I'm saying? He, for by him, all things were created. And look closely. I love how he did this because we have a tendency to try to nitpick. You, you ever notice how in Romans chapter 8, Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of God. But then he knows human nature so well. Yeah, but, and he goes through the list and he says, 
not this, not that, and I love it at the end, nor anything else in all creation. In case you try to think of something I haven't thought of, nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God. Paul kind of does that here. Look what he says. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things that are visible, things that are invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I want to kind of bring out a couple of things from this list here. But before we do, go to back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 3. John chapter 1, look at verse 3. All things were made through him. And in case you didn't understand that, without him was not anything made that's been made. Kind of redundant, isn't it? But we need it. We need it. Because our flesh wants some credit. And we always look for a loophole. And God's word is so clear. Everything that has been made was made by Jesus. Oh, so God didn't make that. No. God made it all. But so did Jesus, because Jesus is God. But look at what it says also in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Paul has just been dealing with some extremely deep theology about the end times and God's plan for the nation of Israel. And at the end of all that, he just breaks into worship and he says, Oh, the depth, verse 33 of Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In other words, uh, you're not going to figure him out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? We've all applied for the position. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. By the way, you're going to see what he just says at the very end of this in what we just looked at here in Colossians. For it's from him and through him and it's to him. Everything is about God, namely Jesus. This whole world we live in. I'm going to say something to you, hopefully understand, but maybe you don't. This world isn't about you. Now you say, okay, yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, no. You want proof that we need to hear that? How many times have you said, why is this happening to me? Don't we? Why is this happening to me? What have I done? And the more I look at the scriptures, the more I look at the fact that the Bible actually shows that this whole universe was created by God for God. And he created us for his purposes, to, for his plan. And it's not about us. And he, by his glory and his grace, has chosen to let us be a part of it. And if we'll let him, I'm going to use a word that you might not like. If we'll let him use us as pawns for his glory in this life, he says, I'll reward you for eternity. You'll be a co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus, and you'll receive glory. And you'll sit on thrones with me, and I'll reward you. But for this life... Some I've given five talents. Others I've only given two. Others I've only given one. 
As we looked at this morning and at the men in motion, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 and following, by the grace given me. In other words, understanding that by me even saying this to you, I'm just fulfilling the role that God's given me. For the, by the grace given me, I say to each of you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But each one with sober judgment, each in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. If your gift is prophesying, use that gift, listen, according to the measure of faith that you have. If it's this, do that. If it's that, folks, we have been sold a bill of goods here in America and across the world that's starting to spread because the church today is talking about how we can do things bigger and better. If we can just get enough people to get involved, if we can get some inertia, we can dream big things for God. Yet the scripture says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but each with accordance with the plan that God has for your life. Peter, here's how you're going to die for me. What about John? What is that to you? What if I want him to remain alive until I return? I've got a plan for your life, and I've got a plan for his life, and the sooner you stop trying to make it all work out even, the sooner you understand that I created you for a purpose and for a time. I've already predetermined, the scripture says, according to Acts 17, 25 and following, the exact places you would live and the set boundaries of your time on this earth. And I've done it for a reason. And when you stop thinking that this world is about you and that you're the center of everything, but that I am, if you would understand that everything is not only from him, it's through him and for him, then you get to chapter 12, at the end of chapter 11 here. He then says, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In fact, that this is all about him, yet he's allowed us to be a part of it. And one day he's going to reward us if we'll let him use us for his purposes if you'll offer your body, your flesh that wants to be in charge on a daily basis, if you'll lay that on the altar and say, Lord, just do with me as you wish, you'll be able to know my will. And then he goes right in and says, now, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I love it when the people came to John the Baptist and they said, the one you were pointing to on the other side of the river, he's actually baptizing more people than you and everybody's going to him. That church over there is getting more numbers than you. John said, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. My role was to be the one who prepared the way for him. My time's coming to a close. Well, how does Paul say it? I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've done what he's asked. Go ahead. What was the wonderful purpose and plan for Stephen? Exactly. The wonderful purpose and plan was to be the first martyr. Folks, I'm telling you, the sooner we get to that point where we stop comparing our lives and our houses and our cars and our spouses to everybody else and say, Lord, I believe you have a plan for my life. And if I would surrender to it, you will get glory through me. And how does Jesus put it? The first will be last. The last will be. Yeah, but how come the church is preaching to everybody to try to be first? You know what I'm starting to realize? I don't want Just a Preacher to be this worldwide ministry. I want it to be only what God has for it to be and nothing else. And you know what? That's actually kind of freeing because now I'm not going to kill myself trying to make it something God never intended it to be. And I'll have more time for golf. <laughs> or perhaps not. Or perhaps not. <laughs> but seriously, along that line, let me tell you, a lot of you are stressing over 
this mentality of human way of looking at things. How many times have you heard the preacher tell you at the end of the service, if you'll go out this week and bring one person, and every person brings one, we will double our attendance in one week. We don't realize it, but we've just made a statement about our view of God's power. He needs us to get it done. Paul says he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. For from him and through him and for him are all things. It's about him. And you just be willing to let him call the shots and let him, don't worry about how it makes you look. How did Paul say it in Philippians 1? He says, I know there are people out there preaching the gospel to try to make me look bad. I don't care. I'm not worried about it looking bad. The gospel's being preached. But he also in this list, go back to Colossians chapter 1 here. Go back to this list. He said he's created things in heaven, things on the earth, things that are visible, and the things that are invisible. He also created all authority, rulers, and dominions. When he talks about how Jesus created all authorities, rulers, and dominions, does anybody have any idea what he's talking about? Very good. It's the angels. He's talking about thrones and rulers and authorities. And he's talking about the angelic host, the invisible realm. By the way, do you know why Paul is saying this here? Not only because it's true, because he's dealing with this false teaching that said that Jesus was like an angel. A created spiritual being, an emanation from God. And he says, no, <laughs> no, he created them. He created them. Go with me to Colossians chapter 2 and look at verses 16 through 19. To help you understand this a little bit more, he said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. I was just talking with someone before the service, uh, call it service, Bible study tonight, uh, to, uh, about the fact that, you know, there's some of the Adventists that fight over which day is the Sabbath, and they also say you're not allowed to eat certain things and all this kind of stuff. Read your Bibles. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Then he goes on and says something interesting. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. Why was he telling them to watch out for these people that tell you to worshiping angels and all this kind of stuff? Because part of what was happening was... They were starting to build all these different levels of understanding that weren't scriptural. And they were even teaching that Jesus wasn't God, but he was like an angel. And it started to become real, real messy. You want to keep it from being messy? Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Study what the Bible has to say, not only in the Gospels, but also in all these doctrinal books that help you understand who Jesus is. Yes, it's valuable for us to look at Jesus. And I've heard so many people over the years say, but look at how Jesus treated this person. And look at how Jesus treated that person. And they're only looking at Jesus in the Gospels. You're not getting the full picture because the picture tells us what he did. But these other books like Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Hebrews, all these other ones, they give us sound biblical teaching as to the root of why he was who he was. And if you don't put them all together, you're going to have a bad picture of Jesus. You're going to come up with a Jesus that thinks homosexuality is okay because he loves everybody. No, it's not what the Bible teaches in the whole of Scripture. He loves them, but he doesn't say that their sin is okay. And that's why we need to understand what the Bible actually says about Jesus. 
So far, what do we know then about Jesus? He is the image of what? Of the invisible God. He is the firstborn born or highest in rank, preeminent over what? All creation. Why is he the first in rank over all creation? Because he made everything. Because he's God. And also he is, it's all for him. It's all for him. But then he goes on and says something else, though. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. This is where it starts to get really deep. How many of you remember years and years ago when there was this teaching that God was dead? Remember the, 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 the period that happened that God was dead? Does nobody remember this? It was like 1960s, 1970s. There was this movement that God was dead. If that were true, the world would disappear. Everything would fly apart. Everything would fly apart because the Bible actually says that he holds... Well, go back to Hebrews. I told you we're coming back to it. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1 again. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 3. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, he and God have the exact same DNA. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If God ceased to exist, the universe would cease to exist. It would just fall apart. Yes, go ahead. Scientists now admit that there is a force holding everything together and they're trying to find out what it is. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's, they're looking at this Bose Hinson God particle and all this stuff. Folks, if, if those of you that are scientists, if you do some study, it's interesting. You just do a little bit of research just on how in the world our, our, our Earth stays in its orbit. Everything, scientists will show you, it's the law, second law of thermodynamics, everything deteriorates. Entropy. Entropy, but at the same time, the, the, the Earth stays in its orbit. And not only that, the tilt of the earth is perfect for what it would need to sustain life. And let's be honest, those of you that are snowbirds, why are you here? Because just thank God that the earth is tilted the way it is. But even just that little bit from here to New England right now, isn't there a little bit of a difference between us and New England? You haven't looked on your news. I mean, I used to live up there. And as I told the guys this morning, I thank God that I live in part of the U.S. where I can wear a coat and sandals at the same time. You know, 50 was cold. But just that little bit of difference. And we're talking amazing amount of temperature gradients between the two. If we even got a little bit closer to the sun, we'd burn up. A little bit further away, we'd freeze. How in the world? Well, I can tell you. God's holding it all together. Oh, it waits. Because of the sin. Yes. So it's, it is degrading. It's, but he's holding it there. Exactly. The earth itself definitely is degrading. Scripture says it. But he's still holding it right. in its place. But here's an interesting thing as well. For years, I've had people try to argue with me that the book of Revelation is not literal. It's all symbolic, and they're arguing with the wrong guy. But here's the thing. They say, well, come on. If the things that happened that they say are going to happen with the stars and the things rolling up. I said, you're still assuming 
that there's no God that's keeping it all together. He's able to keep it all together even though the stars fall from the sky and the sky recedes. You're thinking, you're interpreting it like God's dead. What's holding it together now? God, Jesus. Folks, that's encouraging for you and for me. Because I want to show you something. Go to Acts chapter 17. Look at verses 22 through 28. Acts 17, verses 22 through 28. Not to get you off, but I always love to show people on the creation. The sun, the moon, the stars. That came eight four. Exactly. When did the land, the plants, and everything else come? Yep. There has to be a greater force. Yep. <coughs> yeah, the whole Big Bang Theory, the whole Big Bang Theory and all this kind of stuff doesn't work because the stuff that they get using to make the plants grow doesn't come till day four. Yeah, exactly. Acts chapter 17, look at verses 22 through 28. Paul's up in Athens. He's meeting with the Areopagus. There's a group of wise guys on, on Mars Hill who sit around, and they, they, he's explaining about this God that they're worshiping in case they missed him. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, we talked about that earlier tonight, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are His offspring. Now, I, I, I'm just going to be straight with you. Some of you who are older, I know of many who over the years will get up and say, oh, I'm still here. Why am I still here? I want to go be with Him, which is great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be with the Lord. I want to be with the Lord. The Bible says those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is normal and natural. But there are many people who start to question God, and they think that He's forgotten in them. You know what I'm saying? They think that he's forgotten them, that he doesn't know they're there. The Bible says if you got up in the morning and had breath to complain, he knows you're there because he's the one who gives you breath. Right? Let the scripture be what ba you base what you believe on at all times. Let the truth of his word be what roots in your heart, that you be grounded in the truth and in the knowledge of him and his word, so that when these times come and we all deal with it, when Satan comes to attack, when situations in life are happening and God is silent, and oh, by the way, I had so much fun. A couple weeks ago, I was preaching over for a week in Pinellas Park, and we were dealing with how God disciplines us and how we're to embrace it, and how a lot of the times he'll do, put us through situations for the purposes of humbling us and testing us and to teach us. And I was, did a whole message on how, uh, I entitled it Hide and Seek, and how the Bible talks about how it's to God's glory to hide things. There's a passage actually in Proverbs chapter uh, 22, verse 5, that says, it's to God's glory to hide things. 
It's man's glory to search, search things out or king's glory to search things out. And I was preaching on how in those times that God puts us in situations for his purposes. He's testing us and he's silent. And this lady came up to me afterwards and she handed me a note. And she said, while you were preaching, God gave me this and I wrote it down and I want to give it to you. Now, I got to be honest with you. I believe God speaks, but I'm always a little leery when someone hands me a word from the Lord. I still have this piece of paper, though, because she did hear from God. You know what she wrote on that piece of paper? She wrote, the teacher is always silent during the test. Wow. I said, you did hear from God. <laughs> Giving away that I wasn't sure that she had. And, uh, <laughs> but, buddy, that is stuck in my head. The teacher is always silent during the test. Folks, let the truth of God's word sink in. He holds it all together. He gives you life and breath and everything else. If you're breathing, he knows you're there. Boy, we need that, don't we? Because there are days I wonder sometimes says I'm just like everybody else. But now Paul goes on from preaching to meddling. See, it's easy for us to talk about how he created everything and he's holding everything together. Look at what he says next in verse 18. Sorry, verse 19. No, I was right. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Do you see how he's gone from preaching to meddling? It's easy to talk about how he made the world and he made the angels and he's over all things. Oh, but that also means he's the head of the church. Now, I'm not talking about the organization of the church, although that does apply in some sense. But I want to clarify when I talk about how he's the head of the church, because there are a lot of people that are, are members of churches who aren't a potty of, part, part of the church, part of the body of Christ. You understand that, right? Hopefully you understand just as you're a member of a church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. But the Bible says that he is preeminent over all this stuff, which also includes his body, the church. Now, let me take you to some passage that you might not know about, but I want you to see it. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4 and look at verse 17. Now, I'll be honest with you, this isn't in my notes. God just reminded me of it right now. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, it's easy for us to sit here and say that one day this one who is over all things, who has made all things, is going to come back and not shake the earth, but the heavens as well. And he's going to come as the judge. And we say, oh, God, come. Come on, Lord. They need to see your power. We want you to come. Write these things that are going wrong in the world. And, and Paul says, hang on. Um, yeah, he's going to come and judge the world one day. But right now he's dealing with who? His body. And he's dealing with us right now. Those of you who have raised children, hopefully you didn't spend a whole lot of your time worrying about how everybody else's kids behaved. If you did, you've got problems. You worried about your own family, right? Why? Because that was where you were to focus your attention. 
Oh, he's in control of all the stuff, has the right to talk about everybody else's kids, but he's going to deal with his first. And so, folks, I'm going to ask you an honest question. And again, this is from the Lord. This isn't guilt. This isn't from Jim Johnson, because I'm asking myself, too. Is he preeminent in your life? See, because we can sit around and talk about whether or not Christ is the head of our church, meaning the organization. And we can start fighting over who's really in charge, the pastor or the congregation or the elders or the committees or back up. Where is he starting? He's starting with us. So go with me to a passage in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Look what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? <laughs> do we need to read any further? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid in the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, let me quickly say that for those of you that are under the attack of the enemy right now, that's saying that you're not really his child because you call him Lord, but you don't do what he says. Let me remind you of something else Jesus said. He said there was a father who had two sons. And one son, he said, do something. And the son said, I will, sir, but then didn't do it. The other one said, I won't, but then changed his mind and did it. And Jesus said, which one of these two sons did the will of the father? It was the second one. God knows that our flesh is going to say, I don't want to. But the issue is not whether or not you said, I will or I won't. The issue is, ultimately, are you surrendering to his lordship? You understand what I'm saying? It's the same Jesus that said to Peter, yeah, you think you're going to die for me and it won't happen for 25 years, but right away you're going to deny you even know me. But I'm not mad. And I've already prayed for you. And my prayer is that after you fall on your face, you won't quit, that your faith won't fail. And when you come back, I'm going to use you as a leader to strengthen your brothers. Folks, we're going to have times where we say, Lord, Lord, and we don't do what he says. I understand that. This isn't what the passage is talking. It's talking about the whole of your life. I wish I could tell you that I've always obeyed everything that his word has said, even things I knew I was to do or not do. I, I'm like Paul. I can look you right now and tell you the things I want to do, I don't. Things that I don't want to do, I do. And I wrestle with this body of flesh. I can't wait until the day that I'm out of it and it stops kicking my rear end. But I also know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I also know that if I choose to yield myself to the Spirit of God, he will give me victory over the flesh. The thing is that that's going to be a daily battle. That's going to be a daily thing when I have to lay this flesh back on that altar and renew my mind and live it, give him the victory. I've learned not to beat myself up as much now in those times that I fail. So when God says to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He's reminding us of the fact that he's Lord. He's not saying you're not mine if you didn't do it perfect. But there may be some in here that really, really don't care what he says. You don't understand this whole idea of repentance. 
you don't understand this whole idea of conviction of sin. For you, the Spirit of God says, you need to listen closely. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say in the sense of make sure that you're mine? Are you really willing to let me be Lord of your life? See, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn, the highest ranking over all creation because he made it all. Everything was made by him and nothing that was made hasn't been made. And so that was made hasn't been made by him. And on top of that, everything's for him. Oh, but he's also right now the head of the church, those called out ones. And tonight the Lord wants to take us back to a reminder of the fact that he's God. I don't know about you, but I, I forget sometimes. You ever had your kids need to be reminded that you're still the parent? I mean, you want them to feel a respect for you, but you don't want them to fear you in the sense of, you know, that you're going to get them. You want them to feel comfortable in your presence. You want them to laugh. You want them to be willing to ask for crazy stuff because they know you love them. But there are times that you as a parent have to remind them, um, you stepped over a line there. You forgot that I'm still dad. And there are times that I've had to do that with my children, and there are many times that the Lord's had to do that with me. Don't lose sight of the fact that he is God. That he's God. And then Paul goes on, if you go back to Colossians chapter 1, as he goes on to show that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for the reconciliation of all mankind through his blood, he points out one more time, though, about Jesus' divinity, saying, verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why do you think Paul said that again? In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I made the comment earlier. Some of you might have caught it. Some of you might not. Why does Paul point out here at this point, after saying everything he's already said, why does he say, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell? Does anybody remember? Go ahead. Very good. Very good. Chris was listening. I thought he was going to wait until the recording was over. So that's good. But listen, remember earlier I said they, the heresy was that God would demonstrate his power in different emanations from himself. And he put some of his power here and some of his power there. Uh-uh. Jesus wasn't exhibiting some of God's power in him, all of God's fullness. Well, actually, he'll say it again. Look at chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 9. We'll get to this section later on in our study. But in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, look at what he says. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. We'll get to verse 10 when we get there and how we've been given fullness in Christ. But in Christ, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. It still does. Yes. Is it also reminding us that because of him living in us, we have? Yes. And we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. It's been hard for me not to get into verse 10 because I want to, but you're right. But we, for right now, all of God was in Christ when he went to the cross. Now, I'm going to ask you a quick question. We got, we got enough time to go there. What does that make you think of? I'm going to open it up to you. What do you think of when you hear that? All of God was in Christ when he went to the cross. It humbles me that it was a complete work. It humbles you that it was a complete work, yeah. And you know, the Bible says he knew that before he even created anything. He knew that he was going to do that before he even created the world. And to think he could be so obedient. I'm sorry? To be so obedient to the cross. Mm -hmm. 
Go ahead. But he knew everything that was going to happen to him. Mm. Yeah, being fully God, there wasn't, a, there wasn't an episode in those hours that caught him by surprise. He already knew every little detail. That's a good point. Go ahead. The price wasn't too high for our relationship with us. He was pleased to dwell in him. Yeah. Did you catch that? All that cost. He was pleased to do it. And the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I don't think we can fathom it yet, folks. Because Jesus in John 17 says, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that when the new heaven and the new earth come down, it, it's not us going to be with God. We keep thinking about going to be with God. That's only temporary until he brings us back here for eternity. And then it says, now the dwelling of God is with men. Amen. Ah, that's mind blowing that he wants to be with us. He fully he didn't think, well, all right, I'll do this just this once. Have you ever had a parent tell you that? Okay, just this once. Not happy about it, but I'll, no. He, he jumped in with both feet and said, I want to do this. I want to do this. And that every single thing that happens in every day is making me into that image. I need a few more days, but I don't know about you, so <laughs> go ahead. How many times have a Christian said, nothing good ever happens to me? And I'll say, do you realize what you just said about the cross? How many Christians have committed suicide? How many Christians have committed suicide because they didn't understand? Folks, I'm telling you, my prayer is being answered because my prayer at the beginning was that we would, through this passage, not just have it be head knowledge, but it would move into our hearts. It would really understand what went on. And look at these next verses in the time we have left. Verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, through himself, he was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Listen closely. This is getting crazy deep here, too. And to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, the Bible says that at that moment, God reconciled everything through Jesus' death. Things in heaven, things on the earth. Now stick with me here, because the Bible does not teach that everybody's forgiven and they go to heaven in that sense, right? Now the Bible, I believe, teaches that everybody's forgiven, but not everybody receives this forgiveness. At that moment, God said, paid in full, forgiven. The world is forgiven. Folks, that's why in the book of Hebrews where people get all confused and they try to turn it into something that it's not saying. And the Hebrew writer says that when you reject this salvation, you are trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant which sanctifies you, which bought you. Folks, the Bible says that every sin has been forgiven. What does the Bible say, though, that the only sin that is not forgiven, the Bible calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only sin not forgiven. Every sin's already been forgiven in the whole world, but the one not forgiven is when you reject the Spirit's call to receive this gift of salvation. 
The message of the gospel is God's already paid for your sin. If you receive it, it's yours. If you reject it, you have rejected the only way you can be reconciled to God. Go with me real quickly to um, John chapter 1 and look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of who? There'll be those out there that will try to teach you that Jesus' death was only to cover the ones who are going to be going to heaven. Unfortunately, they're using human logic and a couple of verses and they're not using the whole of Scripture. I'm going to give you another one for later on. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Jesus died not only for our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. World. We know John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would receive eternal life. Folks, listen, Jesus' death was for the whole world. And the Bible even says that at that moment he reconciled everything to himself. But that doesn't say that everybody's going to heaven. This, this good news, this gift, this sacrifice has to be received by faith. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You can't convince anybody of it. There are not those who are better at it than you. There are those, all of us, who have been told to just tell it. And the nasty thing Satan has done to try to convince us that Jim will do a better job or someone else who's been to school will do a better job of explaining it because we think somehow that man has a part in this. No, we just tell it. It's the Spirit of God's work. And Jim, it goes back to our work in Him. Satan uses that to say we're not worth enough to be able to be used like that. Right. You know, as I shared with you before, when Paul was a prisoner on his way to Rome, when he actually gets to Rome, he gathers, he's in a house imprisonment, and he gathers all the Jews that are in that area he wants to preach to them. And they said, you know, we've heard about this way. We've heard about this Christianity thing. We haven't, heard, we haven't heard anything bad about you, so talk to us. And he preached the gospel to that whole group. And when he finished, half of them believed and half of them got mad. That should help you see it has nothing to do with how you say it. Yet don't we, when we share it with someone and they reject it, think, oh, I messed it up. Or I could have done it better. I did something. No, this is God's work. Just tell it. We're going to come back. I'm going to stop here because this is too deep for me to go through it fast. We're going to come back next week and pick up here in this section here. And we're going to take a look at what the scripture actually says about how this, this, this salvation has already been paid for by Jesus. On God's side of the ledger, everybody's already forgiven. We have to just receive it. And we're going to look at some scriptures that even bring that out even a little bit more. But let me just tell you now. The message of the gospel is not, if you ask God, he'll forgive you. The message of the gospel is he's already forgiven you through what Jesus did. You have to receive it. All right? Let's, it's great news. Let's pray together. Father, uh, it's hard for me to stop at this moment, but I think this is what you're telling me to do, so I'm just going to listen to you. As we've just looked at, you are the head, <laughs> and we all have to trust you. And I'm going to trust that you're able to uh, continue your work of teaching us, 
Lord, I know some of the folks that are here are going to probably go home and just dive into their Bibles some more and just keep going, and I'll thank you for that. Lord, I pray that what I have asked you at the beginning would continue, that we would come to a deeper understanding of your lordship and what it means that you are over all things. And Lord, as, as Jeff pointed out today, may it sink in that you are pleased, you were pleased to do it. <laughs> it was for your pleasure, as Chris pointed out, for the joy set before you, you did it. In a weird way, you ran to the cross. You didn't drag your feet. You went. Oh, your flesh in the garden didn't want to do it. But the spirit in you did. Spirit is always willing. Our flesh is weak. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to watch. So Lord, tonight, as we've asked you, take us to a deeper understanding of the fact that you're God. It's one thing that we try to get this information so we can win an argument with those that might not think you're God. (laughs) May the truth of that knowledge actually take root in our lives. You're God. You're the Lord. You control every breath. You determine the places we'd be born. You determine the number of our days. And you have a purpose and a plan. So Lord, may we relax a little bit, believe that you will get your stuff done, Stop trying to get enough workers to get things done for you. And just do what it is you've asked us to do, believing you'll accomplish your work. As Mordecai said to Esther, if you don't speak to the king on behalf of the Jews, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from somewhere else. May we rest in how big you really are. May we enjoy this. And Lord, bring us back next week to learn more about who you really are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.